Hello, and welcome to this edition of the FAIR Data Podcast, where we discuss all things FAIR, making data findable, accessible, interoperable, and reusable. I'm Rory McNeil, host of the FAIR Data Podcast, and my guest today is CJ Woodford. CJ is a World Data System International Technology Office Research Associate with Ocean Networks Canada at the University of Victoria. I'm particularly excited to have CJ on the podcast because he spearheaded the development of what's certainly going to become a major milestone in the development of research data management, the new Global Open Research Commons International Model. CJ, welcome. It's great to have you on the podcast. It's great to be here. Thank you for the invitation, Rory. Great. So I want to make sure we get started on the right foot, because although many people are going to be familiar uh, with the GORC, as it's called, I'm sure there will also be listeners who aren't familiar with the Global Open Research Commons model. Um, And I wanted them to to get a good orientation at the start. So before we get into the background, and we will get into the background, could you give us a brief high-level description of the GORC? For sure. And um, I think it's important to maybe start not even at the Global Open Research Commons or the GORC level and actually take a step down to what is a commons in this context? What did we really think that meant? And for us, it was kind of um, a commons is a entity that provides an aggregation of resources, services, tools, or platforms, a trusted ecosystem that provides seamless access to high quality and interoperable research objects and services just towards the goal of enabling data reuse, open science, good research, and all those good things. Um, So it was a pretty wide definition of of research infrastructure. We were kind of thinking it could be almost as small as an individual repository, but it could be as large as uh, pan-national or international research infrastructures. So we're really going from all over the place with our with our commons definition to kind of capture a lot of different research infrastructures that could fit into that or that see themselves in that definition. Um, so generalist, dis- disciplinary specific, mature, new, all those things. Uh, so then when if we're taking that definition of a commons, when we're thinking about a global open research commons, we're saying, okay, All of these commons exist on regional, national, international levels, discipline-specific, generalist, et cetera, et cetera. But the GORC itself is the realization of that global alignment and integration of all of those research commons or the vast majority of them that want to be involved. Um, The intent kind of being that researchers anywhere at any time across the world have access to the services, the tools, the research objects, the platforms, and the collaboration that they need to do their research to the best of their ability. Okay, thank you. I hope hopefully that sets the scene for um, for us to then take a bit more of a of a deep dive. Um, I'm again, I'm not an expert on this, but 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 I have been aware that the, myself for a number of years that the concept of a research commons or sometimes called a data commons, but I think maybe now research commons is has taken over as the as the most commonly used name. But this concept has been percolating away for for a number of years. I think I first came across it. I know Mercedes Croces gave a presentation about a Harvard data commons uh, in 2019. And I, I've been aware of the NCI cancer research commons. And I, I found, I did a little bit of digging and the, the earliest reference I could find to that was, was 2020 and may go, probably does go back even, even further than that. Uh, and, and Mark Leggett and I were, were part of a, an informal group that was working on developing uh, um, an open research commons model back in, 
2022. That that group was convened and led by by Sarah Jones, who who tragically passed away last week. So these are just a few examples, and I'm sure there are plenty of others. Uh, and the Gork model that's just been released was was developed by the Gork um, the Gork Working Group at the RDA. So tell us a bit about. I'm curious, how did the uh, working group come about? The Gork Working Group at the RDA. And also, did did examples like the ones I've given or, or other ones, did they feed into it? Yeah, so thinking about how the working group came about, um, there was first an interest group, so a global open research commons interest group through the RDA. And that actually started all the way back at the 11th RDA plenary uh, in March 2018. And when I say all the way back, it was only five years ago, but <laughs> all the way back in, in our time scale, I guess. Um, and it went through several iterations of birds of feather sessions or boffs, um, and it became approved or ratified by RDA as an actual interest group in 2019. So I think a lot of the conversations that you're referring to, Rory, definitely fed into the development of the interest group itself, which uh, their intent is to have an integration roadmap for how do we get to a GORC? How do we get to a global open research commons? Um and so the interest group then realizes they were developing, you know, what is a commons? What do we mean by an integration roadmap? What do we mean by a global open research commons? Those kinds of questions that they kind of needed to have a more dedicated working group uh, to identify, well, what is a commons? What are the specific attributes and characteristics of a global open research commons? What is an international model for that? Hence the name. Um, and so the working group started as itself a birds of a feather session um, at RDA 13, I believe, in April 2019. Uh, a case statement went through multiple rounds and got submitted to TAB um, through the RDA for endorsement in January 2021. And the first real working group session was in and around early 2021. Um, we, had our, we started kind of with a speaker series but I'll get into that maybe a little bit later. That started in November. So I think the real work for the working group started around November, 2021. Uh, and definitely the meetings and the work that happened beforehand fed into the development, not just of the interest group, but also the working group. It all happened around the same time frame. And the working group itself, um, we tried to take in as much as possible of the previous work that had been done both inside RDA and outside RDA regarding research infrastructure, open science commons, um, and also, as you've pointed out, there's all kinds of different words that people use for commons. Um, it could be platform, it could be infrastructure. We tried to take in all that into account when we started working on the model to see what are other people doing, what other terms are they using, and what can we uh, build on as opposed to recreate. Okay, interesting. So, um, and and you were involved in a somewhat unusually, I think, for, for an RDA working group. You were involved at, at full time on a full-time basis and you were instrumental in, in actually making this come out the other end of the tunnel and see the see the light of day. So, how was it that that uh, that you got involved, uh, and and how was it that that the it was possible to have someone in your role who actually made things um, go much much more smoothly and uh, uh, and also I think um, markedly improved the end product. Yeah, I, I think that's a good question. And I think, you know, it kind of comes back to the recognized importance of a global open research commons and having a model that determines what would you need to have a commons that could then 
integrate globally with other commons. And so that being a recognized need, I think kind of spurred, you know, the necessary funding and requirements for, for my position to be created. So in terms of what, what kind of happened there, um, the World Data System, well, I'm part of the International Technology Office for the World Data System. And so the World Data System, in collaboration with the Digital Research Alliance of Canada, which is uh, who funds the International Technology Office in, in our Canadian office uh, where I'm working, um, they recognize that the Global Open Research Commons project, the interest group, and then the newly spun up working group at the time was a key deliverable, a key interest. And so they put funding towards a dedicated research associate position to, as, you, as you've pointed out, spearhead, lead, facilitate, um, and help in any way possible, I think, is kind of what my position turned into with the working group. Um, so that's how that kind of fed in. And I started not at the beginning of the working group. I think that would have been preferable, but, you know, timings never really quite work out the way you want them to. Um, so I didn't actually start at the beginning of the working group. My position started in August of 2022, which was almost a full year after the working group had begun. Okay, interesting. All right. Well, it's interesting. So there, there was a, a, a Canadian element, well, not more than an element and really critical support coming from um, from the Digital Research Alliance. That's uh, that's great, and that was that was a huge, a huge contribution in its own right. And then, of course, Mark, Mark Leggett was involved as a as a co chair of the group, which which is also good, but uh, interesting. Okay, um, I I don't want to spend too much time talking about. Well, we've already well, thanks for the introduction. So now we have a picture of of how how it formed and how it got started and what the what the objectives were. I don't want to spend too much time talking about process, but I think it is relevant to the actually to the substance of the model the group ultimately came up with. And it is interesting in its own right. So if you can give us kind of a very high level summary view, um, give us a sense for how the model took shape over the course of the of the year or I guess year plus in which it was developed. Yeah, I'll try. Because um, as uh, Rory, you know, in particular, being a part of the working group, it was a multi-step process <laughs> for sure. Um, so we did have a speaker series, which I've alluded to previously, that started in November of 2021. And... There were some changes in staffing at the International Technology Office because uh, the Global Open Research Commons Working Group was seen as a priority um, well before I started, but we had some staffing changes. And so it was mostly the speaker series and monthly um, working group meetings that were coming together and then writing notes, putting some stuff in what we were calling a martyr document, um, things that were being picked up during these speaker series. And that was basically what was happening for the first eight, nine months of the working group. Um, and I should be clear that the speakers that were participating in the speaker series were commons uh, folks that were, that we asked um, the working group had asked to give presentations on their commons to the working group, filling out something like a questionnaire. Uh, we had about a 13 point questionnaire and then a little table they could fill out at the end, identifying what services and tools they were offering to. Um, it was all voluntary. They could or could not use the questionnaire and then they would give a one hour talk or 45 minutes plus questions. So up until August of 2022, it was just the speaker series. And I don't want to diminish that. That was really, that is a really key part of where the information for the model came from. Uh, but it was really the speaker series and some slight uh, writing on the side up from November, 2021 through August of 2022. There were six speakers that happened in that time frame. Um, and in the same, at, the, at the same time, the interest group itself was working on a typology and definitions document for what a global open research commons is. 
And that came up with nine essential elements of a commons. So when I started in August of 2022, and I, you know, when you start a new job, you read a bunch of documentation and you do the onboarding and you try your best to catch up. Um, to help organize my thoughts, I said, well, there's the typology definitions document that this that the interest group is using. Um, maybe I'll start organizing my thoughts according to these nine essential elements that they've already identified. You know, might as well use all this work together. And I started the spreadsheet. <laughs> and then the spreadsheet became notorious as it got bigger and bigger. Um, so part of my reviewing of documentation was turned into a full scale literature review of the relevant RDA outputs. Um, as well as research infrastructure publications that had come from the community. So a lot of researching in the data science journal from CoData in particular. Uh, so as I was finding things that I felt maybe described a commons, I started organizing them by those essential elements in a spreadsheet that became known as the running list. After about a month of that, um, and having reviewed you know, 30 to 35 sources and, and analyzing the six speakers that had already participated in the working group, um, the co-chairs of the group at the time said, well, this is really good, but we need input from the working group to start maybe culling and refining and evaluating this running list that you're creating. Uh, so that's when we started with the actual work is what I'll call it. So we, I kind of did accidentally a phase one literature review. In October of 2022, we started with task groups within the working group, and they started uh, refining and evaluating this running list that I had created that was organized by the essential elements of what we believe a commons to be created in. That phase one evaluation ran from October to March of 2023. Um, we presented uh, where we were and um, some of those intermediate outputs and the intermediate work that we had at the 20th RDA plenary in March 2023. And we were met with um, great enthusiasm, but also maybe a little bit of scorn that we weren't very transparent in where all of our working documents were and what we were doing. Uh, so that was a lesson to me to kind of up my facilitation skills and put everything onto our RDA wiki, everything was available, and it could be much more transparent to the community. Um, so at the same time, at, while we were doing uh, the RDA 20th plenary and being told, hey, you're not transparent enough, <laughs> um, I was doing a phase two literature review. Um, so then we moved into a phase two evaluation with our task groups that went from April to approximately September of 2023. And by the end of that September, 2023, where we actually had a bunch of workshops in the first week, we had a model created, um, a version 1.0. So it went through a an iterative process with task groups, um, starting from me kind of collecting information from a literature review and analysis of our speakers into a spreadsheet. And then it uh, ended up being refined into still a model in a spreadsheet. Um, but a more refined model with, with input from the working group, uh, which was fortunately submitted to RDA in September for community review, uh, and approved in October. So we were able to present on those outputs at RDA 21 in late October of this year. Fantastic. Thank you. So I think, um, I think people get a sense of how, how, um, you know, what a thorough and, uh, involved process this was and how much how much work went into it which is good and I should have given a I should have given a disclaimer at the start to say that yes indeed as you say I was one of the foot soldiers who was involved in <laughs> in uh, in working on the model but uh, so now you've mentioned that that's good so but just one thing just to kind of highlight because it's not really the focus of our discussion today 
but you mentioned the um, the speaker series and having sat in and listened to many of them, it's a, it's a fantastic resource. There are video recordings of um, uh, people describing whether or not they call it a research commons. In effect, they are research commons from different countries around the world. And they're really, really interesting, both the commonalities and the differences and also the details. And those exist as a resource. So uh, maybe at the end, CJ, you can give some tips where people can discover some of this stuff. So it's not actually just the model itself. Some of the associated things which were produced by this working group are, are also really interesting. Anyway, okay, with that, with all of that kind of extended background, let's now jump into the actual model itself. And you just mentioned several times in your description of the process just now, the elements. Um, so what are the main elements of the model? Yeah, so uh, the main elements of the model reflect the GORC interest group's typology and definitions document, which highlights nine or 10, depending on how you count them, uh, essential elements of a of a commons that wants to be part of a global open research commons. Um, so we had them kind of divided into two main classes or themes. Uh, so they're kind of split between governance and policy, which are which are, affect mostly your human stakeholders and entities with your commons, and then also your um, infrastructure and t your infrastructure uh, items, which affect more so the stuff, your hardware, your software, that sort of thing. So within those kind of two themes, what we had were governance and leadership. Um, so thinking about your organization's purpose, the development of your strategies, your objectives, your values, your policies, all that good stuff. Another one is in the same uh, human-facing theme would be rules of participation and access to finding how your stakeholder groups interact with the commons as well as each other. Sustainability, uh, which would include your models and agreements. So that could be financial, but it could be resourcing as well. So how are you, how are you sustaining your commons? The next one is engagement. Um, and it's, what are you doing to ensure that your commons succeed in regards to engaging with your commons community more broadly. So that's stakeholders, that's um, the disciplinary community. If you're a disciplined commons, it can, it can include a communications plan. It includes events, all of anything that could really fall under engagement. The last one in this kind of theme of human interaction and governance and policy is human capacity. And that one is a really hard one to nail down, but we had a light definition of um, engagement with human individuals and entities. Uh, in some of our more narrative documentation, there's more rigorous definitions, and I encourage folks to go look at that one because it was really hard to nail down a definition for human capacity in this context. Um, but it was kind of coming back to how are you encouraging um, and providing access to the human stakeholders, both internally and external to your commons. On the, um, on the infrastructure side, there's, of course, your information, communications, and technology infrastructure, ICT infrastructure. And that's kind of the hardware and the basic software that you need to run the computer systems that enable your commons. So what are things running on? Um, that, that was essentially what that was for. An obvious layer on top of your ICT infrastructure would be services and tools, which was another element um, combined together. And a service being something that could be invoked by the user to perform some action, um, typically by software, and then a tool being something that could be used by typically used by humans. We again, we have more rigorous definitions inside the model, and I encourage folks to have a look at that one. 
Um, the last one kind of in our infrastructure area was research objects. And we left this really open. Um, we were very careful to say that our model in this particular case, and the, also the typology and definitions document that describe these essential elements are not including hardware, like research hardware as a research object right now. But we are very much aware that that's a, a consideration that we want to include in a, in a future version. But for now, the research objects um, are largely focused on digital outputs of the research process. And then the connecting pieces between our human, our human elements and our, and our technology elements are interoperability or the ability of data and tools from non-cooperating resources to integrate and work together and standards and conventions or repeatable, harmonized and documented ways of doing something that are either formal and community endorsed like a standard or might be internal and more informal like a convention internally to your ways of working. Fantastic. So th that's great. And uh, it's difficult in, a, in an audio discussion when impossible to have a, a visual representation, but there is a very nice graphic which shows kind of how these elements conceptually fit together. And we can't show that, but I just, I just thought what we can do is um, when we post a notice about this, uh, this episode on Twitter, we can put up uh, uh, that graphic. So anyone who comes to the podcast can have that in mind when they're listening to you uh, discuss the elements. Um, so you mentioned your, your infamous spreadsheet before, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, the spreadsheet that, that grew. Uh, and, um, and again, I think this is probably difficult to, to maybe visualize if, you're, if, if you don't see it. But w within each of the elements, there's then a series of, of uh, uh, they're, they're sliced and diced along certain categories, subcategories, descriptions. And maybe you could just try to give us uh, either kind of uh, what are the what are the what are the ways in which what are the categories the subcategories the 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 where the elements in which the elements are are described because because they're done so in a uniform way to ensure consistency and possibly even because that might seem a little bit vague to people if you could pluck out if if you could pluck out an example um, to kind of bring that to life. Yeah. If you, um, if no example comes to mind, that's, that's fine too, of course. I'll see if I can think of one, but while I'm thinking of an example, I will say that, um, as Rory's highlighted, there is a structure to, to the model. And so the elements are represented, uh, so the model is represented in a spreadsheet format. Um, every tab in the spreadsheet is a model, is a, is an essential element in and of itself. And each one does have entities inside of the essential element, categories and then subcategories. And there's also characteristics of those entities, um, so which are the attributes and features. So every item in the model, whether that's a category, a subcategory, an attribute or a feature, um, also has an extended description, examples, um, a core consideration level. So we try to also kind of say which items in the model might be of particular importance or um, or not dependent, that's going to be context dependent for each, for each commons that looks at the model, but it was a way for us to kind of list a priority um, in a subtle way. And then of course, where we found it, so a primary source. So we tried to incorporate as much information into the model as we could. Um, and the spreadsheet is very much a flat layout. So you have everything along in rows and columns, of course. So uh, the I'm not sure if I can think of 
an example off the top of my head, but maybe I would say that, for example, in interoperability, um, it doesn't really have a lot of stuff in it. Some of the essential elements are broken down into a lot of entities or a lot of characteristics. Um, the model itself has about 400 items in total. And in interoperability, what you'll see are main categories of um, technical interoperability, legal interoperability, organizational interoperability. Um, and then those are broken down into subcategories. So for example, the technical interoperability is then broken down into, into, syntac into syntactic interoperability and semantic interoperability. And then each one of those subcategories has attributes and features or characteristics that are specific to them. Um, okay, yeah. I think that, yeah, oh, that's great. I mean, that uh, obviously again, um, I would encourage anyone who's interested to take a look at the at the model itself, which has now been published, and then this will bring home what uh, what CJ is describing. But I, th I think it, it's clear that uh, that there's a uh, there's a lot of uh, discipline structure went into trying to be consistent about the way in which each of the elements is is kind of unpacked and unpicked and, and described uh, in in interesting ways. Um, good. So that's the model. And then, uh, interestingly, in addition to the model itself, there's a what I think of as kind of a narrative description uh, of the model as well. Uh, could you talk about that a bit? Because I think that was quite an interesting, interesting um, work product. Yeah. So um, the narrative description of the model or the report is how we call it is um, the second output, I suppose. So we have two outputs from the working group officially, uh, the model and the report. And the report kind of captures um, all of the background information, the methodology that we took, more specifically, uh, what exactly was included in our phase one and phase two literature reviews, the methodology of not just the working group, but of each of the individual task groups, because they all approached their evaluation process in a different way. Um, and it also included a lot of things about future work. There's also some nice narrative summaries of what each essential element had in them. So while I struggle with examples on the spot, you can definitely see in the report, there's a really good, um, just a couple of paragraphs about each essential element and what it contained at the, at the high level. Um, so that, that's the narrative document is a great one, even though it is a bit long because there is a lot of methodology that went into the working group and into creating the model. Um, but certainly the summaries are, are great if you're looking for a place to jump in. The report itself was um, written alongside of the last review, the last revision of the model um, in the late summer of 2023. And maybe I should be more specific because uh, I realize that the summer is not the same time of the year for everyone. <laughs> um, but writing happened between August and September of 2023. And that was led by uh, Karen Payne, who was a previous co-chair of the group. Um. Yeah, excellent. So as, as you mentioned, uh, the GORC model has now been formally adopted and published, which is incredibly exciting and uh, a huge accomplishment. Um, so what, what did that actually involve and, and what does it mean in practice? Yeah, uh, that's a really good point. And it did, something that surprised me is that folks who were RDA veterans, if you will, uh, even within the working group and, uh, even my fellow co-chairs, um, I still found I had to go back to the RDA website again and again to see what did we need? Did we forget something? And even when I did email our, uh, tab liaison, Bridget, Walker for actually getting our outputs going, it was like, oh, you forgot this. Oh, you forgot that. <laughs> so there is, um, 
yeah, I would say the your your liaisons, if you're in a working group or an interest group, are your friends. They're really, really accommodating and they're very patient. Um, so that was really helpful. But uh, in practice, in terms of uh, what did that really involve, of course, you have to create your output when you think it's ready. Um, and then fortunately, RDA does have a really good um, web page to say what you what you need for the most part uh, in terms of describing it. So we had to describe, we had to provide an abstract, uh, which was essentially the abstract that we had written for the model and the report anyway, but we had to tweak it a little bit to uh, fit what RDA wanted to have addressed in there. Um, we had to write a impact statement to say how does this potential output actually benefit the community, which was an interesting positioning exercise. We needed to have our authors finalized, uh, which was, you know, something we did have for the report, but for the model, this spreadsheet that we had where we had, um, you know, many people who had worked on it over the years, that was a bit tricky to, to consider. And then the ordering of authors. So we did have to think about how we wanted to do that. Um, as well as how it related to the sustainable, um, the sustainable delivery goals or the SDGs. Uh, so we had to give a statement on that as well. And then once we had all of that together and, and Bridget was able to say, yes, you've actually captured everything we want to see, um, we were able to have our outputs put out for a community review through RDA that needs to be four weeks long. So they got posted on our RDA webpage um, as well as sent out in various RDA email formats. And you know our co-chairs and working group members also sent it out to their communities for review. Um, and that's when folks can really go in and tear it up, <laughs> uh, give a, really, uh, you know, make sure that it's reflecting what they want to reflect. And we didn't really get a whole lot of comments on it, to be honest, but I do hear that sometimes that's, that's not the case. And sometimes you get a lot of feedback during that community review. Um, so when the community review closes, you address those comments, um, usually through several meetings. We only got one comment, to be honest. So it was actually a pretty easy um, revision on our part. And once we have all that together, um, you uh, create your final versions of your documents, your PDFs, your Excel spreadsheets, whatever it is that you happen to be submitting, and you send them to your liaison and they put them up on Zenodo for you. Um, and then you've got a working DOI and it's all good. But certainly getting all that stuff together in the first place and uh, is what you have to focus on before it goes out for community review. Yeah. Okay, thank you. So, so the, that being done, uh, the, the working group has, has been wound up and the interest group is now going to continue the work of the, of the working group, uh, which is great. Um, I know it's early days and you're probably still in recovery mode after that intense experience, but uh, can you tell us a bit about ideas the interest group has for, for building on this foundational work that was carried out by the working group and taking things forward? Yeah, so... We have a number of things that we'd like to do, of course. So now we're on, in the interesting position to say, what are priorities that we can do soon? And what are things that maybe we want to do later or that we can um, kind of push to the side? That sort of idea. And one thing I will clarify is that even though the working group's main outputs are done, I don't know if the working group itself is officially wrapped up because we do want to resubmit our model as an official RDA recommendation. So that was probably something I should have mentioned in your previous question is that what I described for our process is specific to RDA outputs. Um, a recommendation requires you to have two adopters and there's a couple of more things you need to have in addition to what I described when you want to have something as an official recommendation. 
So a uh, recommendation is a little bit more formal. Um, it's a bit of a stronger output in my in my opinion. I might get I might uh, get pushed back on that particular statement, but <laughs> that's how it seems to me. Uh, and so we are working with adopters right now to see if they where they are and how they can and how they can go through that. We're thinking about a timeline for a resubmission of the model version 1.0 as a formal recommendation with those adopters. But that timeline's a bit fuzzy. We're not 100% on um, when that will be formalized and ready to go with our two adopters. So that is something that's continuing. Um, we're hoping that will still live within the Gork International Model Working Group. So it is definitely done in terms of hard work, but we are it's lingering on a little bit to see if we can get our model resubmitted for recommendation. In terms of new future work, um, yeah, the big thing on the horizon for the interest group is an integration roadmap. So the model addressed what is a global open research commons or what do you need to consider to become part of a global open research commons? And the integration roadmap is, you know, the holy grail for the interest group, the how, how do we actually get there? And so right now we're not sure, it's, it's not clear how that's going to ramp up. It's, there's some ideas around about having some workshops, um, some of our co-chairs are going to be seeing each other in the early, in early 2024 at various workshops and that sort of thing. And they're hoping to kind of carve out some time to address what that will look like in terms of creating an integration roadmap. But on the more practical level, on the working group side, we're actually hoping to ramp up a new working group and maybe even multiple of them. So some things on my plate um, are going to be creating a better representation of the model. So getting it out of that spreadsheet and maybe into a relational database or into a knowledge graph. Um, exactly what that looks like right now is still a work in progress. Um, we want to formalize and publish some of the other analysis that we did within the working group. So the model and the narrative report are big chunks of work, but we also had a lot of analysis and other work that happened on the back end that never actually made it into the report and are kind of just like sitting in various documents right now. So we're hoping to kind of formalize that up and get some of that published and out there too. Um, we want to also think forward towards a, a model version two. And part of that work is going to be creating an implementation map on, on top of the model. So the model is conceptual. We don't have a lot of concrete examples in it right now. And we want to actually start filling it with concrete examples and implementations. And part of that is a new working group that we're hoping to ramp up. And we're working on the case statement draft right now and getting it moving. Um, but that'll be for doing a discipline specific profile of the model specifically for health commons. And we have a plan in place, we have a work plan, but we need to fill in the rest of that case statement and get it and get it spun up through RDA. Wow. Well, uh, so thank you very much. This has been really a really interesting uh, conversation and very informative. And I, I was actually, as I said, involved in part of this, but I learned a lot. And uh, it was really interesting to get a behind-the-scenes perspective on on some of the things that needed were needed to make this happen. And I think also your plans for the future are extremely promising. And it's it's great to see that that this um, that the, what's been produced so far is the beginning of something, not just um, not just a static output, which which I think reflects how you know how important this is. So. Thank you very much. It's been uh, it's been a great conversation, and thanks for thanks for thanks for joining me, CJ. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
Okay, that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed the discussion. The Fair Data Podcast is provided by fairdatapodcast.org and produced by Meroz Ahmed. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, and follow us on Twitter at Fair Data Podcast. See you next time.